0: Looking to improve your workplace productivity? Tried investing in technology and got minimal return on your investment? When we come back, today's special guest, Tim Ringo, offers a unique perspective on how engaged employees harness smart technology and transform the workplace.
1: This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, helping you see business issues hiding in plain view that matter to your bottom line.
0: Welcome to Business Confidential Now. I'm your host, Hannah Hassel Kelchner, and today's special guest is Mr. Tim Ringo, a speaker, executive board advisor, and author of Solving the Productivity Puzzle How to Engage, Motivate, and Develop Employees to Improve Individual and Business Performance. Tim has over 30 years' experience as a senior executive in the HR consulting and HR software industry. He's architected and led some of the largest and most successful human resources change programs in North America, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. He's gotten around. It's a privilege to have him join us today and give us his insights on how to improve workplace productivity. So, welcome to Business Confidential Now, Tim.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Hannah.
0: Now, the title of your book is intriguing, Solving the Productivity Problem. Now, what problem related to productivity are you solving here?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that I'm not going to take credit for that title because um, actually, I called the book 21st Century People initially, and my publisher changed it. And I'm glad they did because um, solving the productivity puzzle, as it's um, as it's called, is um, has uh, turned out to be really timely because that's exactly where we are at the moment. In fact, the puzzle got more complicated because essentially before the pandemic, we'd already been in a ten year, you know, dip in, in people productivity, which has mainly been caused by, you know, overwhelming people with technology. It doesn't work for them. And then of course then we have the pandemic, which has taken a you know major hit on people's productivity. But the good news is it looks like, because we're looking at this, you know, we're really focused on it at the moment, we're starting to see data that's showing that maybe we might get back Uh, to where we were before the pandemic and even better in the near-term future. So, um, you know, essentially, as I was mentioning, the, the technology has overwhelmed us. I don't think organizations have invested in people as they used to back in the early 2000s. Um, and these things just caught up with us, uh, in the end. And, and, you know, I think what's happened is the pandemic and maybe one good thing that comes out of it is it kind of shakes things up and we, we kind of relook at things. And I think we're going to, I feel quite positive about the future and solving the, the productivity puzzle, hopefully once and for all.
0: Well, that would be lovely if it could be done once and for all. (laughs) Um, It's interesting that you refer to the technology having overwhelmed people. What is it about having so much technology at our fingertips? You know, we had it before. We were forced to use it more during the pandemic. So how do you think that's changing going forward? Because you said you you think that we're not only going to go back to the pre-pandemic productivity, but increase it. So how does that work?
1: Well, I think that um, what organizations did um, the past 10 years is they got sort of technology happy um, and just implemented system after system after system um, of technology that was really um, IT-centric, meaning it was built for those building technology. It wasn't for improving people's productivity. It was around compliance. It was around, um, you know, process and, and those sorts of things, um, and you know that is, that's not good for people's productivity, right? When it when it's so, so, it's not easy to use. It's not easy to understand, and therefore, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise that we've seen productivity go down. Now, the good news is that we have started to use technology during the pandemic. That's a bit more. Consumer grade, meaning that you know it's something you might expect to see at home, uh, on your tablet, your phone. You know, it's 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 almost like you know apps that you would use, you know, for fun. Well, that's where things are heading. That people are finally realizing. The, the technology, it can't be technology-centric anymore. It needs to be human-centric and be about building people's productivity. It has to make you better at your job. And so there's, there was already, a, a you know, the beginning of a change in mindset before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit, and it forced, a like, an immediate rethink on how are we going to do this. And we started to use things that were, you know— you know, potentially, you know, more consumer uh, oriented. So, you know, Zoom and and Skype and those sort of things. Really, I mean, they they, they were they were done at work, but you use them more for for teleconference and less the video bit. And now we use the video, and everybody's really comfortable with that. You've also seen people start using their their Google Homes and their Alexas as part of their jobs. It's on their desk. You know, they they ask Alexa to find some information for them or those sorts of things. So it's it's kind of put us in a different position where we're starting to expect the technology we use at home to be what we have at at work. And I think these things are coming together really quickly to to help us start to solve that kind of overwhelming with IT-centric technology.
0: All right, so some of these puzzle pieces are coming together, but what makes technology human-centric? It's still gonna be designed and created by tech people.
1: It is. That's that's right. Um, but I think what um, tech people are are realizing that you know for their technology because you know it's like their baby, right? They spend a lot of time designing and building these things, and they want them to be used. And I think what what a lot of software companies and and software technicians are realizing is that um, you know they're users of technology as well, and and they want technology that's going to be used. Um, you know easily frictionless right so it's it's not something that gets in your in your way, and so I think people are starting to understand that when they 're at home, the type of technology that they use is it's pretty frictionless it 's pretty easy to uh to use, and then that's where things are kind of uh migrating to so there'll always be humans at the center of that, sure robots might build technology in the future as well, but there'll always be humans at the center of that. But I think what what's happening on the other side of the equation is the demand from businesses saying, look, we don't have time or money to train people to use systems. These systems should be something that are intuitive. Uh, they should be systems that actually do a lot of the work in the background that we don't even see. So they're automated. And the flip side of this equation, as I was saying a moment ago, is what Organizations are demanding now, which is that they want technology to to make people better at their jobs, more engaged at their jobs, and in order to do that they 're asking for technology that uses intelligence you know some people call it AI and machine learning to to understand the user and to anticipate their needs and and do some of the kind of grunt work in the background. Um, such that they don 't have to, so let me give you an example um some some of the h r systems that are out these days when you write a job spec, the system will actually go through it for you and take out any biases, take out anything that might you know put put the community you're trying to reach um you know put them off. And do that for you w- without you really having to think about it, and it will fix these things for you. And that makes somebody who's doing hiring, for instance, better at their job. And so that's the kind of things that people are are demanding, which are tools that do that, kind of anticipate the human needs, take care of them. And I think at, at some point soon we won't even notice that they're doing this, um, and we can focus more on the job and less on the the system in front of us.
0: But you still have to get people to use these systems. You know, one thing that intrigues me about your book title is the subtitle, How to Engage, Motivate, and Develop Employees to Improve Individual and Business Performance. So, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, we have this user-friendly technology. It's, uh, for lack of a better phrase, idiot-proof. Even you can use it. But (laughs) how do you get people to actually use it? And use it at the right times and be engaged yeah. and motivated. Tell me about some strategies for that.
1: So there's there's two things. So the, the first one is the what I call the what's in it for me rule, which when when somebody um, gets a new system or asks to use a new system, the first question is what's in it for me? And if the answer is this is gonna make your job easier, oh, and by the way, it's gonna make you better at your job, you've got their attention, right? So that that's kind of the first piece the other piece is, is the the part i talk about in the book which is also uh you know uh, enabled by technology which is i call it people engagement innovation and performance and how that happens peip how that happens is getting right people with the right skills in the right place at the right time with the right motivation right so having that as a mindset in your organization then having that as a set of processes and then having technology that's intelligent to underpin that to help get people um, into those positions, that helps create an organization where people flourish. And that then answers the question, what's in it for me? Oh, so, you know, this organization is actually trying to to get me to, to the kind of work that I like to do, that I'm, that I'm good at doing. Is it 100% of the time? No. But, you know, a lot of the time, the organization and its processes and its technology are helping me do that. And when it answers the what's in it for me question, that's when people really start to engage. And so it's a kind of... It's kind of the technology needs to be the enabler, but you have to have a new mindset in the organization, a new set of processes uh, that, that says you're going to get right people, right skills, right place, right time, right motivation. And, and you know, the companies that I've worked with for many years that do that, they are extremely engaging places to work. People flourish, and guess what? The businesses are innovative, and they are high-performing.
0: That sounds like a great formula. I'm just wondering is it only applied to large organizations or what about the, the small business on Main Street?
1: Yeah, so I, I, that's a great question. I get asked that um, all the time. And, of course, when, when it's bigger organizations, you know, you're dealing with 5,000, 50,000, you know, even up to 500,000 people, that equation it was really important to have in balance all the time, and I say equation, you know, with with, with air quotes, um, but that's how I describe it in the book as an equation. But I think it, it, it's the same for say you have a, you own a drugstore with twenty five people in it, and you have different things that that people in that drugstore on Main Street have to do. You've got the you've got the pharmacist, you've got the person who um, who acquires. Uh, the drugs, you've got the person on the front desk you've got, and you've got different people doing these roles in different shifts. And, you know, if you're an employer that takes into account each one of those people's motivations, takes into account their skills, takes into account when they're available, you know, what, what type of work they like to do. Even if it's 25 people, that is still a very powerful equation because people will want to stay and work for you. And if you're a small organization, it costs a lot of money when you lose five people and have to go get five more. Bigger organizations absorb that as a cost of business. A smaller business, you want to keep those people around. Um, in fact, you know, you hear smaller business say, "You know, you're part of the family," and that's that's when when you're when you're doing um, when you're balancing that equation in a smaller organization, you're creating that kind of almost family uh, atmosphere. But you also have to give people the opportunity to grow. There may be somebody who's on the front desk, uh, who's at the cash register, who might want to be a pharmacist. So maybe you want to invest in that person to go to pharmacy school or something like that. So these are all the sorts of things that you know a big organization can do, but I think are equally as important for a small organization too.
0: What does that mean for the leadership, though? What advice do you have for business leaders, whether it's large or small organizations in terms of mindset,
1: yeah, you know, the mindset that has to change is the one that comes from business schools. And I can say that because I went to one, the um, Ohio State University, which is a fantastic business school, by the way. I'm not running it down in, in any way. In fact, they've transformed the the curriculum, and it, it covers a lot of the things that I, am, that I learned in business school. But unfortunately, I'm old, and there's a lot of us who are old. And we learned in business school that, you know, people are costs and people are transactioned. And that is absolutely the thing I'm trying to, to, to break down that mindset with the book. That's really where it started, which is people are not costs; they are not transactional. So you have to change that mindset away from, well, business isn't so good, so I need to get rid of, of five people or 50 people or 500 people. Oh, well, business is really good, so no, no, I need to hire five people or 50 or 500. You know, th- th- that kind of hire, fire, binge, that's transactional. That's people as cost. And guess what? You will destroy value in your big or small organization every time you do that. What you should be doing is looking to, to constantly, again, balance that equation, PEIP, but also look into the future as far as you can and plan or you know, as is, is best you can see what the business conditions are, and even out how you um, do your supply and demand of, of of workers, and don't treat them as a kind of transaction. Treat them as again part of the the family, and and you wouldn't want to get rid of a, of a family member, right? And and that isn't just being you know nice. That's good business, right? That is smart business. So what I say to leaders is it's time to change the mindset to creating a workplace where you invest and you help people flourish. And not to be, you know, to get an award for best employer, but because you're going to be a better performing business, and you're going to make more money. That's just, you know, that's the fact. And the book goes through, you know, multiple case studies of where that's happened, both small and and large organizations. So, so that's what I say. The mindset needs to change away from that kind of cost transactional to family. Um, You know, how can I help you be a a better person, a better, better worker? And then that's how you can help me, you know, as a business owner, you know, make more money and, and all boats float. So that's kind of the philosophy.
0: I understand the philosophies. And those are certainly not just good philosophies, but strategies to to strive for and to put into place. But it also seems to me to assume that you're hiring the right people in the first place that are worthy of the investment, and I'll put worthy in air quotes, um, yeah, but sure. about the right fit. In your experience, what, what advice do you have about making the right hires?
1: Yeah, well, that's where it all starts, right? And And again, it starts with the leadership being really clear about understanding who they need in their organization. And, you know, to be fair, I think most organizations are really good at that. I think they do know and whether you're you're a small organization or a big one, I think they have a really good idea of who succeeds in the organization. But I think what they do is they tend to hire from too narrow uh, a pool of people. Um, and what I talk about in the book is is expanding that pool that you hire from. And what you and, and what I'm talking about is is diversity. Diversity of gender, race, sexual orientation, neurodiversity. I think neurodiversity is a really important part of of a workforce. Getting people in who are on the autistic spectrum, they bring specific types of skills. So so I say, you know, I would never insult any business by saying you you don't know who to hire. I think they do I think they do know who to hire. I just don't think they hire from a broad enough pool. And create that kind of diverse workforce that, that, that they really need that's going to be successful. And that's, I think, really, really key. The other thing I would say is that because you're going to expand that pool, meaning there's a lot more people you're going to pull from, you do need to have analytics and analytic technology to be able to make sense of, you know, all these different possibilities and, you know, to use analytics tools um, to do that, which goes to my first book, which is calculating success. Which I co-wrote with a couple of um, colleagues, which is around HR analytics. It's so important to to be able to you know not just use your gut to make people decisions. You have to use data, and it's really really important. And as you expand that pool with more options, you have to be able to get your arm around that with real data.
0: Those are some great points. Of course, some of the smaller businesses don't have the access or the resources to do a lot of analytics they may be relying on their gut and hopefully a good list of questions that they've actually thought about as to how to identify the right skill set but well i want to i want to just challenge
1: that a little bit because i think that the, these tools do exist now for small businesses huh? um you know they're 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 you know they're out there they're um you, know, you can subscribe to some of these services to some of these technologies for you know uh, it, you know Twenty, thirty dollars a month. Um, these technologies that can help you tap into these pools and get data and help you refine your ability. It is absolutely true, Hannah, that you know until five years ago, it was really expensive for businesses to, to buy the type of technology that I've been talking about and implement it, the price points have come down dramatically. And you, know, you can literally buy some of these tools with a credit card and you know, they'll do the analytics for you or services that use tools that, that do it for you. So this is now becoming in reach for smaller businesses to be able to do the types of things I'm talking about. Absolutely five years ago, it was out of reach, but now it's it's getting much, much cheaper.
0: Well, thank you. I stand corrected. That's good to know that <laughs> that smaller businesses can have access to this type of uh, powerful technology. Do you have any links you could send me that I can add to the show notes? Because that you may not have them at your fingertips right now, but I think it would be helpful for some of our listeners.
1: I will do. I'll send I'll send you some around the key parts that we've been talking about, which are, uh, um, uh, you know, ac- uh, talent acquisition types of tools okay. that, that, again, will do a lot of the analytics for you. And, you know, they're, they're reasonably cheap sort of services. I'll send some of that uh, through to you um, because, uh, you, you know, the question was and it's a super question, which is, well, how do you get the right people? And everything starts there. Right. So, yeah, I'd be happy to send some, some links through for that yeah.
0: Okay. Well, wonderful, because besides information about how to contact you and links to your book, we will add links to these tools as part of the show notes for your episode. So if you're listening, hang in there, come on over to the show notes, we'll have you covered. Now, of course, hiring and getting the right people in is absolutely crucial, definitely an important input to have productivity. But in my experience in the corporate world, a lot of people start with really great intentions in a new job. And then somewhere along the line, that enthusiasm gets blunted. It gets dulled. And it's not because they don't have a good skill set. They have been successful in their careers. They still are. But something changes because of what they've discovered about the organization. Things that mm. don't get revealed in the Interviews, you know, and during the interviews, mm. everybody's wonderful, fabulous. We're just going places, <laughs> and we have room for you. Say, yeah, you know, you're laughing because you get it, right? I um, do, yeah. And I'm sure we've got <laughs> listeners who are smiling on, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, someone told me a story just recently about how they accepted a new job, and in the process of accepting the job offer, the response they got from their future boss made them think at that moment to themselves, "I shouldn't have taken this job." So, what what is it that leadership needs to be aware of or put on their radar screen besides just hiring the good good people, but to keep them engaged and to keep them motivated? I know somebody can't motivate somebody else, but things are happening somewhere in the organization with the culture or messaging or something <laughs> somehow that makes people go, oh, well maybe not as severe a reaction as the the person I just told you about, who was like, oh, mm. God, what did I get myself into? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. over time, they start to question, uh, is this the right place for me? They're comfortable, mm. but so, so on. Anyhow, what advice do you have for leaders on that front?
1: I, I think the key is to, and I learned this the hard way, which is anybody that I hired or uh, worked in my team, I, I – Later in my career, I took time to understand what motivated them personally, as well as professionally, so that I could kind of have an early warning system of okay, maybe I'm asking this person to do something that that wasn't you know in the original plan, and I know isn't really very exciting for them, and create that kind of ability for them to say, hey, you know Tim, I'm not sure if this is going to work. And then the the key to fixing that, and this is what I think a lot of organizations are doing, we're starting to do really well, is to then say, right, let's open up the organization for other other things for you to do. I'm quite happy for you to now move out of this team into the into that team. Let me help you find that place that that is going to really work for you, because it doesn't do anybody any good if you get somebody who comes in and then they get into a rut, they're disappointed, and that is where they want to be. in. ideally, if that's a good person, you want to keep them, but you want to find in the organization where you could maybe invest in putting them in a different part of the organization. And it doesn't have to be a big company to do that, right? Mid- medium-sized, even small-sized companies can, can can do this and give people new, uh, new opportunities. And I think the key is to spotting that because I don't think a lot of us are very good at going to our boss and saying, you know, look, this isn't working. Um, could I do something else? <laughs> yeah. But I think more and more leaders are recognizing that they need to create that open discussion to say, hey, let's let's potentially have room for you. And quite often I would indicate that to people when they came in my team. It's like, well, you're going to join this team. But I think there's other things that you could potentially do. And I always just left that door open. That, you know, when it's time, you know, let me know and let's see if we can work something out. Rather than back to that transaction, you come in, you work for me, I give you your assignments and you go and do it and come back and tell me when you're done. You know, and that goes on forever. I think you have to look at it as more of a journey with with employees. Uh, I learned that the hard way by not recognizing when somebody was getting into a bit of a rut uh, and and then trying to help them.
0: Well, Tim, this has been really enlightening and I I appreciate your sharing your insights about these various pieces of the productivity puzzle and some tips and strategies for how we can make these pieces fit together a little bit better to achieve what we all want. Uh, for employees, a satisfying work experience where we're, where we're valued, where we're making a difference. And for the employers, getting stuff done. I mean, it's wonderful. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> when when you move the organization forward instead of sideways or, God forbid, backwards. So if you'd like to contact him, learn more about his work on employee engagement and how to improve workplace productivity or his book, Solving the Productivity Puzzle, and, of course, some of these tools that, that he just talked about, we're going to have that information in the show notes at the episode page for his episode on businessconfidentialradio.com and if you know someone who could benefit from Tim's advice please tell him about today's show share the link leave a positive review on your podcast app or at lovethepodcast.com business confidential so others can learn about this episode and discover what you did too you've been listening to business confidential now with Hannah Hassel have a great day and an even better tomorrow